Well, I have come to the conclusion that I have entered a different season of life now. My kids are officially big, and I'm officially old. There's a number of things that have confirmed this to me lately. One of which is that now I have more teenagers in my home than I have non-teenagers. So I think it's hard to justify calling yourself young still when that's the case. But also, just some more mundane things have brought this home to me. For example, socks. I cannot tell my socks apart from my boy's socks anymore. That once was very distinguishable by size and perhaps smell, uh, has now become indistinguishable. I came home from running the other day only to be informed I had been wearing the socks of a nine-year-old. But also technology has made this very apparent. That where it used to be my role to teach them how to utilize new technology, that the tables have now been turned. It is now their role to teach me how to use new technology and to mock me along the way at my ineptitude in making use of it. But if you've ever been a parent, maybe you're like me, uh, I can still remember the size they were when they were born. But I really, everything between birth and today is really just a blur, I'll be honest. If it weren't for pictures, I would forget altogether what they look like at particular stages of life. And it's a principle that's true for all of us. If you are part of the growth process of something, you often cannot perceive the growth that is happening before you. So if you... I have these three living beings living under my nose. But yet I often can't on a day-to-day, week-to-week, sometimes even month-to-month basis, even notice that any growth is taking place. I can do it with my nieces and nephews. I see them once, maybe twice a year. And when they walk into the room after being apart from me for nine months, I can instantly tell the growth that has taken place. But with my own kids, I need things to happen. There's little indicators Along the way, we have to buy some a bigger size shoe this time that we have to to finally find some jeans that go all the way down to the ankle now that these any little indicators along the way that growth is happening because the growth is imperceptible to me for the most part. And this is true whether you're growing a child, (laughs) whether you're growing an animal, a plant, any living thing, we start off with something that is typically very small And it reaches finally at some point its full maturity. But the process along the way is very difficult to remember step by step. And when Jesus was looking to describe the kingdom of God, he he went into nature to grab hold of this principle and says, this is how we ought to think about the kingdom of God. Jesus says, this is a principle that's true that God is woven into the world. That God has woven into the world the fact that things start off small and they grow into their full maturity over a long course of time. And Jesus says the same thing is true for the kingdom of God. That it starts off as a mustard seed. But finally, by the end of the passage this morning, Jesus says that one day it becomes the tree above all trees. It becomes the largest plant of all plants. But that there's a process of growth And that process of growth between the seed and the full maturity is often hard to notice in the moment. It's often hard to gauge when it's happening right before you. But let's just think this morning, 
what are the implications of what Jesus says in this parable for as we think about the kingdom of God and even our own lives as Christians? And here's just really, I call it the principle of the kingdom tree. And it's this. Growth isn't typically monumental. It's typically incremental. That that's true for the kingdom. It's true in nature as God has ordained it. It's true for us as Christians. Growth does not typically take place in large leaps. But rather, the Bible says it takes place like a tree, a plant, maybe a kid. It takes place as a slow process that takes time to reach its full maturity. It's true for the kingdom of God. And it's true for us individually as Christians. And this morning, I want us to look at these words of Jesus and to just think about the growth of the process, the growth process, and to see three things in particular, where growth starts, how growth happens, and finally, Jesus tells us where growth leads. But we want to start off by thinking about where growth begins. And Jesus brings this to our attention in verse 31. How does the growth of the kingdom begin? Verse 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. How does any growth process begin? It begins with something very small. That's how all growth starts. Mothers, aren't you thankful that kids are not birthed into as 21-year-olds, right? We are thankful for both Uh, A lot of reasons (laughs) that kids do not just appear on earth as 21-year-olds. My kids, for the most part, came in around the the seven-pound mark. And and that was without pain. uh, That was with great pain and agony. Not so much on my part. But, But kids arrive in these mustard seed-like forms. Kids come into this world... Uh, in a very small form, of course, uh, both with blessings and curses, they grow uh, into very large form. But th- this, Jesus says, is true of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not initially appear on earth in its full, mature form. The kingdom of God did not come with chariots ablaze. But how did the kingdom of God come? It came with a child born in a manger to an obscure family from an obscure town. That's how the kingdom of God comes to earth. In rather obscure, small, simple ways. You know, Jesus uses the image here of mustard seed, which he says is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Now just think about that. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. That you could walk past it and not notice it. That you could walk over it, you could step on it. In fact, it could be surrounding you in your yard and you wouldn't know it. That that for the most part, its initial form is very unnoticeable. It's very small. There's nothing about Jesus and His kingdom that has natural, visible appeal. Because at first of, in its first form, Jesus says, it even doesn't have visibility. It comes as this mustard seed. You know, the expectations, let's not forget, Jesus is speaking to these words to this first audience that had expectations built up as to what the kingdom of God was going to look like. And their expectations were that when the kingdom of God would come, it would come as large and in charge. And Jesus is trying to tell them, no, 
you know, Jesus is talking to this crowd. It's somewhat humorous. He's like, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You know, it could be right in front of you and you wouldn't even notice. And of course, he's self-referencing there. Jesus says it's standing right in front of you and you might not notice it was there because maybe it wasn't what you were looking for. And Jesus says that that's the nature of his coming and his kingdom, that he wasn't what people expected and the kingdom doesn't come as we expect. But when God grows things, whether in nature or the kingdom, they always start off in small form. You know, we don't appreciate the fact uh, that Jesus was from Nazareth. We've heard that town, that name so much that it seems commonplace to us. But to the people of that day, it was like, now remind me, where's that? Uh, you know, there's nothing attractive about the name Nazareth. It was a small town. You know, this happens to me. I, I travel quite a bit. And this happened this past week. It happens multiple times to me every month. And that is that anytime I check into a hotel, they ask me for my driver's license. I lay the driver's license down. And as the person there at the desk is checking me in, all of a sudden a smile comes to their face. They look at me and they say, Flintstone. There's a town called Flintstone? Now, I live in Flintstone, Georgia here. And they, now this past week, this happened in the state of Georgia. <laughs> and the lady at the desk said, Flintstone, really? That's a town. <laughs> yes, I know. Doesn't sound like a very respectable town, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> but that's when people hear that, it doesn't um, strike respect and honor in the heart. <laughs> it doesn't stir up these grand emotions. And that's the same way that the first generation of Jesus' day thought of Nazareth. Jesus is from Flintstone, this town nobody knows where it is or is heard of. And even if you go to that town, the family Jesus was born into was not one of the pillars of the community. He had a dad who worked with his hands full time. He had a carpenter for a dad. Jesus comes in this mustard seed form, even to a mustard seed town. But this is how the kingdom comes to earth. And if we're honest with ourselves, this bothers us. This bothers us because we would love nothing more than for the kingdom of God to have huge market appeal and visibility today. We want the kingdom of God to come across as large and in charge. We would love nothing more than at the water cooler at work to say we're Christians and people go, wow, really? That's awesome. And things like that. But that's not what happens. That we're part of, on a worldwide scale, a very obscure movement of the kingdom of God. And by the way, we need to be reminded as we sit here in this context, in this culture this morning, that where the kingdom of God exists today around the world, it really does look like a mustard seed. It looks like 20 Christians gathered in a mud hut, worshiping their Lord and Savior. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like in most parts of the earth. But there's good news. God doesn't need big things to make big changes happen. Right? The good news is that he can take something as small as a mustard seed and make it become the tree above all trees on earth. That God doesn't need a huge, large, and in charge church. A huge, large, and in charge visibly attractive society to make the kingdom of God advance and his reign extended. He doesn't need that because where growth begins, growth always begins with something small. And that's also good news for us as individuals, because this morning, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times the reign of God in our own lives feels small. That it's we're trying to 
find even aspects in our own lives that look like the kingdom of God. But the good news is, no matter how weak or no matter how small or little our faith, God can take it however small it may be and grow it into something that is fully mature, like he does his own kingdom. You know, also, not only is the the kingdom of God and growth begins with the mustard seed, but most of our kingdom activity looks like mustard seed activity. In other words, the things that Jesus says advance his kingdom, extend his kingdom, that most of it are things that go unnoticed in the nightly news and will never get attention and acclamation. Things like visiting the sick, caring for the poor, sharing the good news with a neighbor. That these things are things that are like mustard seeds. They'll go unnoticed by most. But these are the things that God uses to advance and grow His kingdom. Growth always begins with small things. And so no matter how small our activity may seem, God can use it to grow His kingdom. But then also Jesus moves on to tell us how growth happens. How growth happens. And He brings out two things in particular. He says, you know, growth happens both mechanically and mysteriously. That in other words, if you want something to grow, you're going to do a few basic mechanical things, but then there's also an element of mystery to it. And he likens it in verse uh, 30, I'm sorry, verse 26 and 27, to the activity of a farmer, right? A farmer gets up every day and goes about some basic repetitive activities. They have to sow seed into the earth. They have to water it. They have to fertilize it. They have to care for it. And they have to do that every day, then go to sleep and do, wake up and do it all over again. There is some mechanical, repetitive nature that is necessary to make things grow. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a farmer. There's some of that activity that happens. But he doesn't stop there. What does he say going down to verse 27? He says, but then the farmer goes to sleep. He gets up in the morning and what does he notice? But things grew overnight while he was asleep. So notice what Jesus is saying. He goes on to say the things grow and the farmer knows not how. Jesus says there's an element of mystery when it comes to the growth of the kingdom. The kingdom grows in part because of our activity. But then the kingdom continues to grow even during our inactivity. The farmer engages in activity during the day, but then he goes to sleep and he does nothing. And yet while he's doing nothing, the kingdom grows, the, the, the farm grows, the produce grows. So the, the growth is taking place, is happening because of our activity, and you might can say despite our activity. That there are basic mechanics that must be happening for, for growth to take place, but at the end of the day... Things are growing because they have the power to grow. You know, this is true when it comes to the kingdom of God. There is an element of mechanics and an element of mystery. Right there, Jesus says to us, here are the things that you need to be doing if you want to see thy kingdom come. You need to be proclaiming the word. You need to be praying down heaven. You need to be celebrating the meal I've given you together. You need to be planting churches. You need to be putting Scripture in the hands of people and so forth. But yet at the end of the day, if you watch the growth of the kingdom, it grows in ways that are mysterious to us. So for example, today, where, where is the kingdom of God 
growing most rapidly, but where it has the least resources and where conditions are least conducive to growth. That's where the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God grows today in the world. The fastest growing parts of the kingdom is where it looks like the farmers are all sleeping. But Jesus says the kingdom grows. It's not just about our resources. It's about what he's doing and where he's pleased to do it, how he's pleased to do it. The kingdom grows in the Middle East and in Pakistan and in West Africa, and we know not how. The kingdom grows in China. We know not how. The kingdom is growing in places where the king has been outlawed, but yet the kingdom is growing there faster than here, and we know not how. That how does growth take place? There is a mechanical element to it, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's a mysterious element to it. There's a mysterious element to it. You know, Jesus reminds us here that of a few things that we would we could apply to our own lives. And that is this, that first of all, nothing grows where nothing is planted. Okay, I'm not an agricultural expert. There are agricultural experts at one end of the spectrum, and at the other end is me. Okay. I identify trees and plants by their location in the yard, not their name, okay? But I do, I know just enough to know that nothing grows where nothing is planted. And if we are interested in seeing growth happen, Jesus says, well, you know, it's kind of like farming. Did you, did you plant something? Because nothing's going to grow unless a farmer gets up, plants some seed, turns some dirt, does some of that activity. You know, you can't expect the kingdom of God to grow in Trenton if you're not going to plant a church there. You can't expect the kingdom of God to grow in the Middle East and China and elsewhere unless there's church planting activity going on. That the kingdom grows where the kingdom is planted. By the way, there's also mystery just on our local level here as to how the kingdom grows. Some of you, I imagine maybe a handful of you were in the room the first Sunday Rock Creek Fellowship ever gathered for worship some maybe 14 years ago. Rock Creek looks a lot different from what I hear than when it started 14 years ago. There was one site, not so many people. And now there's two sites and one plant active today. How did that happen? Well, I know Eric is away at Hilton Head, and I'm pretty sure he's not writing a guide to church growth and church planting while he's away because he's captured all this in some easy formula. But rather, how did it happen? Well, it happened because people got together every week to worship and pray. It happened because people people uh, faithfully invested their resources to make it happen. But at the end of the day, why and how did it happen? We know not how. God was pleased to do it as he's pleased uh, to work in different ways through different means. And he has been pleased to grow Rock Creek The growth happens because of us, but the growth happens despite us. We may water and fertilize, provide artificial light, but if the seed has no inherent capacity for growth, it's not going to grow. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It has inherent capacity to grow. But that brings us to the third thing I want us to consider, not just how growth happens, but also where growth leads where growth leads. And Jesus tells us that growth in his kingdom leads to beauty and blessings. Beauty and blessings. How do we know that? Because what happens 
at the end of the growth of the kingdom, verse 32, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Did you notice, by the way, the juxtaposition between verse 31 and verse 32? The smallest of all seeds, verse 31, and in verse 32, the larger than all plants. That Jesus says that when His kingdom reaches its maturity, it is like a a lovely, beautiful, large tree, but it's also a source of blessing, not just a source of beauty, because now birds can come and find nest in its shade. You know, it made me think when I read this parable, the kingdom of God is compared to a tree. Why do trees exist? Um, Well, you could say trees exist to prevent erosion from happening, right? They give stability to the land. Trees exist to put out oxygen. Trees exist for beauty. They beautify the landscape. But Jesus points us to a purpose for trees that we often forget. And that is that trees are a residence. Trees are a home. Trees are where some animals live because there they find protection and shade from the elements. And Jesus says, that's what my kingdom is like. My kingdom is like a tree, a tree that grows big so that the birds of the air can come find rest and protection in its shade. By the way, isn't it interesting that when we, when we grow kingdoms on earth, when we grow our kingdoms, when our kingdoms grow, they push people out. They shove people to the side. But when Jesus' kingdom grows, what happens? But people are included. People are gathered into His kingdom. The birds of the air can come from the far distances to find protection and rest in the shade of Christ's kingdom. But this is what happens. This is where the growth of the kingdom leads. It leads to this Tree above all trees. A tree that is a source of beauty and blessing to the nations. You know, I was reminded of this growth process when I read the story about the World's Fair in 1876. The World's Fair in 1876 was held in Philadelphia to mark the 100th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And you may be familiar at World's Fair, the nations are invited to come and bring displays uh, that are peculiar to their country and culture so that you don't have to go to their country and culture. It can come to you. And one of the countries that was represented at the 1876 World's Fair in Philadelphia was Japan. And like other countries, Japan brought agricultural exhibits. And one of the exhibits they brought was ground covering that was found in their country, common to their landscape. And it took... It caught the attention of some Americans as something that could be useful to the American landscape. And so they decided to take a clipping of it and to plant it. And it's now what we know as kudzu. (laughs) That kudzu was introduced to the American landscape through a clipping taken at the 1876 World's Fair. And that if you've lived in the South, you know that kudzu is not confined to Philadelphia. But rather, kudzu now covers over 20,000 square miles of the American landscape. 20,000 square miles from one clipping. Now, why does that happen? Well, if you know kudzu well, if you've had it in your yard or nearby, you know you don't have to tend to it. (laughs) 
It doesn't need water, uh, fertilization. It's not a high maintenance uh, to have. But what? Kudzu has this inherent capacity to it. That it's always looking for a place to go. That it's always looking for a place to expand. It will climb if it must. (laughs) But it's going to extend itself until it is stopped somehow. And Jesus says that this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a plant that has inherent capacity for growth. It's always going to grow. It's always going to expand. It can be planted and placed in places like farmers do. But at the end of the day, it's going to grow because it has the capacity to do so. Because it's in its very nature to look for that next place to go. That this is what happens with God's kingdom. It comes in the form of a clipping. It doesn't come with 20,000 square miles of territory. But over time, it spreads, it advances, it encounters resistance, and it goes to other places. But it continues its growth until one day the Bible says the kingdom of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It will be a source of beauty, a source of blessing to all the nations. You know, by the way, if you want to see the kudzu-like dynamic of the kingdom of God, just read the book of Acts. Just read Acts. What happens? But it starts off as a clipping in the book of Acts. Eleven scared people gathered in a room in Jerusalem. (laughs) That's how the kingdom of God starts. And then it grows to a few hundred praying together. Then it grows to 3,000. And then we're told 5,000. And by the end of the book of Acts, the gospel is being planted in the capital of the empire, in Rome itself. The kingdom's like kudzu. It encounters resistance, but it keeps spreading. And nothing will stop its advance. There will be times, the Bible says, when the kingdom of God will look like a mustard seed. It will be hardly visible. But that's not the end of the story. But rather, we know because Jesus tells us that it will continue its march across the earth, and it will provide refuge and rest to all the nations. You know, Jesus, of course, once again, is describing himself in this parable. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God could be standing right in front of you, and you wouldn't know it, but there's going to come a day when other birds from other nations are going to come and find rest in the kingdom. And Jesus literally To grow the kingdom, Jesus literally had to be planted in the earth. That he had to live, he had to die, he had to be planted in the tomb. But from it, on the third day, new life springs forth. And Jesus' kingdom, the kudzu, has now been planted. And its growth has begun. And to the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know, what does this mean for us? Well, once again, I go back to what I said earlier. That Jesus is describing his kingdom here, but he points us to nature. He says, have any people looked around, taken some observation of how things grow? And growth isn't monumental. It's incremental. And I would say that's true not just for Christ's kingdom, but it's true in the Christian life. And that's what frustrates us. 
We wish we could grow huge Christian biceps in a day. (laughs) But that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with anything. If you know how that can happen, please come see me afterwards. But it doesn't happen like that. Growth, change, transformation, whether in nature or in our lives, happens incrementally. And it typically involves some daily diligence. And you know what? That frustrates us. I wish I knew how to lose 20 pounds in one day. But, you know, the reality is I'm probably just going to make good decisions at every mealtime over the course of weeks and months if I want to lose weight. Okay? That change is not going to be in these huge leaps, but rather it's going to be in incremental moments and incremental decisions and incremental activities. You know, if you if you are looking to see good fruit come out in your marriage and relationship with your spouse, I doubt something monumental like a cruise is really going to do it, okay? You're just going to be on a boat miserable together. (laughs) But rather, what does the Bible and and life experience teach us? You're going to have to die to yourself every day, love somebody other than yourself, walk patiently with another person. That if you want to see your kids become well-rounded adults, it's probably not going to uh, happen through a month-long road trip one summer. That actually could kill your relationship with your kids. I'll just put that out there. But rather, it's going to go, it'll, it's more likely to happen by investing just a little time every day in the lives of your kids. That's how long-term transformation is likely going to happen in their lives. By the way, that's true for us on so many levels as Christians. You know, generosity won't start when we get a big bonus check at work, right? It happens every week as we make decisions about how to invest our resources that God's entrusted us for the purposes of His kingdom. We wish things worked differently. We wish that we could lose 20 pounds in one day. But it doesn't work that way. That's not the way God has designed the world. That's not the way God has designed His kingdom. But rather, things happen more incrementally than monumentally. Change takes time. We see it with our kids, and we see it with God's kingdom. And this morning, Jesus' words call us to faith. Because this morning, perhaps some of you are looking at the kingdom of God in your life, and it feels very small and hard to notice at times. And you doubt whether anything can grow from it. And the good news is, God doesn't need much to work with. God doesn't need much to work with that he can take the smallest of faith and it can become the largest of all faith because this is how he works in his kingdom. But this morning, maybe you have seen growth take place, but you you feel doubtful that the day of full maturity is ever coming, that you have doubts about whether or not this day that Jesus describes will come. And we have to believe today that the, the things that Jesus has begun, he will finish. That we believe that Jesus has started something and he's not abandoned his work. That even though when we may have cultural reasons to doubt whether or not his kingdom is really growing, and perhaps it's not here, we need to be reminded his kingdom is growing. It may not be perceptible to us, but his kingdom is growing and the work he has begun, he will indeed complete. And when the kingdom of God appears in its fullness, it will be a sight of beauty and it will be a sight of blessing. But Jesus reminds us 
that we live in the in-between time. We live between the day of the mustard seed and the day of the full-grown tree. And in that day, we have to be like the farmer, with our hand to the plow, but with our eyes toward heaven, asking God to bring growth where it seems like no growth can come. And he promises that he is just that powerful, that he is able to grow the largest of all things out of the smallest of all seeds. Let's pray. Gracious God, this is good news to us today. It's good news that you don't need much to work with, but that you can take our faith and even our activity, however so small it may seem, and that you can take it and bring things from it that seem impossible to us. And we thank you. Father, forgive us when we think all of our mechanics are causing things to grow. That we are the source of the kingdom's growth. Help us to look to you and to be reminded that you cause the kingdom to grow even while we're sleeping. Father, help us to believe that you are busy gathering the birds of the air together in the kingdom tree. And Father, we may not see it at times in our own culture, but we pray we would see it more. And Father, I pray that for all of us as a church, as Rock Creek Fellowship, and even as individuals and families, where we see things that need to grow in our relationships, in our lives, in our community, help us to be busy about the work of planting something there. Help us to be about the process of incremental growth. And Father, we pray, would you hasten the day of your tree's ultimate growth, that we long for the day when your tree will stand tall above all others, and the birds will sweetly sing the praises of our Savior now and forever, in whose name we pray. Amen.